This is the Weird is the New Black Show. Someone that I've known for a handful of years, like shack size handful of years. <laughs> <laughs> um, her name is Lauren Bauer. Like Eddie Bauer, no relation. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Um, these are jokes that uh, were told last night <laughs> in a bar. It's the uh, name of a, what is it called? Uh, Roy Pitt's Barrel House. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and so we had this idea for the podcast for like two weeks. I'm glad that it's because we were under the influence that <laughs> <laughs> that the memory, you know, still stuck with us in the recording <laughs> the show, right? Yeah. This is fantastic. So for those who are first-time listeners to this show, because, of course, I've had like 50-plus episodes, you know, and uh, I've had a variety of guests, a variety of different topics, but you never know who's listening and when they'll listen. So for those who are just listening now, uh, you know my show covers a variety of topics. Some are ridiculous, some are weird, some are ridiculous and weird, or sometimes weird and ridiculous. Yes, the order of the words do matter, okay? Mm-hmm. But today, I like to have a topic that's important and is serious because it affects the community. Now, in Philadelphia, um, we have a population of children with special needs, as people do all over, the, all over the country, all over the world. And I think it's very, very important that we take time to tune in and understand these needs, understand these children, understand these families. When I was talking to you yesterday in Roy Pitt's Barrel House, yes. at, and the table with the chairs of our feet swinging. Because um, on five five, my feet will swing <laughs> without my permission. Um, I really, truly, I truly enjoyed how passionate you were. Thank you. About what you do. Yes. And why you do it. So I figured, you know what? Let's share it with the world. So, Ms. Lauren Bauer. Yes. This is your life. Dun oh. dun dun. <laughs> Sounds serious. Super serious, <laughs> super serious. Because I was gonna come in here wearing my my spike collar, but I said, you know what? <laughs> I can't do that today because it's a serious matter, and it's gonna be really good. So, Miss Bauer. Yes. Miss <clears throat> Bauer. All right, serious yes. voice. <laughs> so, where are you from? So, I am originally from a small town called Point Pleasant. It's in New Jersey. New Jersey. Yep. A state that I love and hate all at the same time. Yeah, I, that's a very common, common piece of feedback <laughs> that I get. <laughs> you know, because no matter where I am, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure people there are nice. You know, but it's still Jersey, and y'all love the Giants and all that kind mm-hmm. of weird stuff. So yeah, it's gross. Today, today's challenging. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> 
Because the Eagles are playing the Saints today. Yes. Yeah. And they'll probably win. So I'll oh. give you that. Hope to God we win. <laughs> Hope we win. I'm not even watching the game because I don't want to jinx it. Mm-hmm. That's probably why I have the podcast recording during the game. So I don't have to like be at home like, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? <laughs> I can't watch the game. So yeah, I'm now being productive with the time. Yes. So you being a Point Pleasant. Mm-hmm. And last night you told me that you um, are of the Jewish faith. Yes. Okay. Now, from your background, what led you into the direction of being a social worker? Well, that's a great question. So, my dad is actually a social worker. So, I grew up with firsthand knowledge, knowing what social workers do and how he supported people, individuals in our community. So, that was my background and knowledge of that information, but that was not my original plan. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I had gone through many different avenues of, I wanted to be a fashion designer. Then my parents said, you're never gonna make any money doing that. (laughs) So I went to business school, Um, also didn't make any money doing that either. (laughs) Unfortunately, I came out during a recession and there were no jobs. So I thought, well, what am I going to do with my time? I'll just go to law school. It seemed really easy. I thought that I could go to law school and then help people. I'm not sure how I made that connection, but it might have been because of all those really good law TV shows that we all like. So I was like, oh, all of these lawyers are helping people. I want to do that too. I'm going to go to law school. But I did decide to work in a law firm before I went to law school and I was very thankful that I did that because what I realized was that the field is very challenging. There's a lot of competition. It wasn't for me what I saw that was happening. Um, I just, I, it was not an area that I knew personally that I would fit into. So just because of my personality and who I was. So I thought about my dad. I thought about pursuing that avenue and I went back to grad school. I got into a social work program in North Jersey at Kane University, and I was very, very lucky and very privileged to be able to have met a lot of my classmates in grad school. So although it was a long road, it was very rewarding. Awesome. So you go from being in North Jersey, Mm -hmm. and then you find yourself working in the North Philadelphia area in Kensington? Yes. So how did that happen? So I, after graduation, I decided to move back to Philadelphia. Most of my friends were here. I was always really happy here. And I started looking for jobs. And again, it was really challenging because I didn't have a lot of experience. And I was offered a position at my current place of employment in a temporary position. I knew I really wanted to work with children, and I thought that I was just going to take the opportunity to do it. And I remember after I had that interview, even though it was a very temporary position, I, I said out loud um, that if this is what I'm supposed to do, it will happen and I'll do it and I'm gonna make things work out of it. And I moved through the company and I met a lot of really great coworkers and a really a lot of really great families and had some amazing experience and have made a lot of big changes in people's lives and 
I think the universe was kind of speaking to me <laughs> in that way, and I'm still there. It's been it's been eight years. Eight years. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure those eight years have taught you a lot. Yes. Not just about the community, but I guess even about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I I learned a lot about the children that I work with, different cultures, different ages, mm-hmm. um, different races, different socioeconomic backgrounds, and how we all relate to one another in this great big world and how all of that impacts what we take in from the environment. So I feel, again, like very lucky and privileged to have met all the people that I've supported over time because I have learned so much from them and not only have I supported them with changes they've also changed me okay so we're going to come back to that so we're going to bounce around Mm -hmm. you know all around this uh this this Lauren Bauer map okay (laughs) (laughs) just to get to the point (laughs) so one thing I am curious about what you just mentioned is that how your experiences have changed you. So you mentioned, I remember we were talking last night, right? Mm-hmm. And we can mention this on the podcast, <laughs> okay? So mentioned last night that it was interesting for you being of the Jewish faith yes. and working with families yes. who are largely of the Islamic faith. Yes. So what was that like for you? So I typically go into situations with an open mind. I have to say that I grew up in a Jewish household. We were non-practicing. My family's pretty reform, but we do celebrate holidays. My family's also very organic and very welcoming and very open. So that's how I went into this situation. I also am very aware of the history of the Jewish culture and um, you know everything that's going on in Israel currently and you know, how people are dealing or understanding of the Muslim population. So it can get a little bit tricky when you are meeting others who are different from you that might have different beliefs that might kind of counteract each other. So um, what I found was that working with the Muslim population has been incredibly rewarding and the families and these people and these children are incredibly kind and loving and generous and thoughtful. And I feel like that is something that we never get to talk about Mm -hmm. and that's not really seen. So, and being Jewish to experience that relationship Mm -hmm. has also been very rewarding because there's always been a history of um, conflict. Understood. So it's like, in a way, it's like a, a healing thing. Yes. So, so I often think about gener- generational trauma. So things that have happened to our ancestors years ago get carried on and passed down um, through generations. And we learn things from our family members and we experience things and then we respond to them and sometimes we don't know why Mm -hmm. but it's because that's what had happened to our ancestors a bazillion years ago even though times have changed and people have changed we're still responding to the traumas of our ancestors it's interesting that you mentioned that because uh so in, in my place of business where i work 
whose name I will not mention for obvious reasons, <laughs> you know, uh, they discuss the idea of epigenetics. Mm-hmm. And epigenetics is pretty much the same thing. Like it talks about like carrying on the histories of, you know, generational history, but on a cellular level. Mm-hmm. And you have people, there was a study done, because I was reading this book by Charlemagne the God called Shook Ones, referring to anxiety mm-hmm. and how certain groups of people deal with like high stress. Like, mm-hmm. There was a uh, scientist who did a study on, um, on Jewish people mm-hmm. and they noticed that they had high levels of stress that mm-hmm. they, they, they've inherited because also these people are also Holocaust survivors mm-hmm. and they were like descendants of them. Mm-hmm. So they noticed how there was, a, there was a high level of stress that they mm-hmm. kind of inherited through. And same can be said for African Americans who've been through like as much as they've been through. Mm-hmm. So in a mm-hmm. way, it feels like PTSD can be yes. somewhat passed down, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very, very interesting. So as we talk about things being passed down into generations, mm-hmm. let's talk about the core of your work, mm-hmm. which is the children. Yes, who are the future? Yes. So I work with children ages two to six that have a diagnosis of autism, and I support both the children and their families, um, whether that be a single mom, a nuclear family, an adoptive family, Mm -hmm. um, support their child uh, that has autism, um, and also to grow understanding what that illness means and also understand that there's support out there and educate them about um, how to help their child learn and grow and continue to develop. The reason why I really uh, took a supreme interest in not only just having you as a guest, but in terms of this topic is that Mm -hmm. I grew up, um, one of my dad's lifelong friends, his son has autism, right? And so he had a he was probably like a couple years younger than me, but that was my first interaction with it. Mm-hmm. But as a kid, I'm like, "What the hell is it?" You know what I mean? Yeah. Not, 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 not his son. Like, what the hell is it? But I me mean, in terms of like yeah, the condition, of course. Right. So, and as I got older, you know, I've seen these initiatives on TV like Autism Speaks, or mm-hmm. there are people that I know now whose children have autism. Like some people have like, and there's, I know there's various uh, forms of it. I don't. I know there's, there's like non-speaking. Autism mm-hmm. for a while, or you have some students, who, some kids with autism who are like geniuses in certain in certain fields. Yes. And there was a derogatory, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I may be wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay. And having lunch today, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, was the term idiot savant once linked to people with autism? So, idiot savant. I don't know if it was linked to autism, but what we've seen in the media, Mm -hmm. I feel like is misleading about the diagnosis. So um, sometimes on television shows, you may see, um, for example, there's a television show out right now about a person with autism that's a doctor. So I feel like it's kind of, it can be misleading in that a person with autism is has an amazing skill set in one area and then maybe not skill sets in other areas. So I think that it the media has really 
misled what autism misled the community of what autism is. I don't think that there's a lot of education out there about what autism is and how it affects people. Wait a minute, you sitting here, you're going to tell me that the, <laughs> that the media is misleading people? What? The media? <laughs> the media? <laughs> but no, but in all seriousness, so what is autism? So autism is an, a mental illness that affects the brain. Okay. Um, and it affects areas specifically in a person's social makeup and how they relate to the world and how they develop and form relationships. It affects their ability to communicate. So you'll see a lot of individuals with autism, maybe nonverbal. Mm -hmm. It also creates in those individuals because of how they relate to their environment. They may have what we call rigid, restrictive patterns of behavior. Mm -hmm. um, so they may seem very ritualistic or prefer their room to be a certain way or go through their day with a very specific routine because that's what makes them feel safe mm -hmm. in their environment. So that's just kind of uh, a brief overview. Um, also, autism also affect, affects a lot of people's sensory system. So that means how they take in information from the environment through sight, sound, touch, and taste, and smell. And it also affects their other senses, such as vestibular, and I find the most interesting one called proprioceptive senses, so mm -hmm. that a lot of people aren't aware of. And it, it is really challenging for these individuals to relate to the world that we currently live in. With all that being said about what mm -hmm. autism actually is, what have you encountered via your eight years, mm -hmm. you know, in this realm of social work with these children who are two to six? Mm -hmm. So actually it's gonna be a two part question. Mm -hmm. What have you learned via, um, from the children two to six? And what have you learned from their families? Oh man. <laughs> yeah, questions. Another excellent question. Okay, so for from the children, I've learned that acceptance and support and to be able to just love unconditionally, no matter like what anybody throws at you um, at the end of the day is, is what people need no matter if they have autism, if they don't have autism. It's just that piece of compassion and kindness is so important and how we relate to others um, as well as acceptance. So I learned all of that from, from my kids that I work with and, and for their families who've experienced so much, so many challenges in their own personal lives and then have been able to overcome the barriers and overcome the challenges that they've gone through in life and then learn to love their child that has autism unconditionally is such is so powerful and their ability to be vulnerable and to be open and accepting of the work that I do and just 
bear with me <laughs> sometimes and you know we kind of bear with each other sometimes and <laughs> uh, just to be open I think that's what my families have taught me over time because um, I think what makes it better for people these days is mm-hmm. the fact that you have information out here mm-hmm. and you have people like yourself mm-hmm. who are translating information to those who may not be aware of, exactly. what, of what's going on, mm-hmm. you know, because people, I look back at some of the things I've encountered, things that I've seen and stories that I've heard mm-hmm. about how people may have had these, these uh, conditions, mm-hmm. I should say, call them conditions, and history may have not have been the most kindest to people with these conditions. No. You know, you see people who have been, like, thrown inside these, like, sanitariums or just treated like mm-hmm. crap by their parents and or other family members being abused. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's great that you're out here, like, you're doing the work in these communities. Right. Because, again, I especially feel like in these communities, it's – I'm not say this. I'm not saying that everyone doesn't, like, you know, need the help. But I feel like in these certain areas, these marginalized areas, mm-hmm. the help is – definitely needed more than anything else you know yes the help is really limited um in specific areas of philadelphia and to be able to access resources so if you don't know if resource if you don't know that resources are available to you how can you access them right so i think there is a detriment in that we are not communicating effectively and we are not budgeting effectively for resources to reach everybody who's in need. I've heard that a lot, like, because mm-hmm. I think I have to get like the exact information for this, because like, this is always these are things I've heard from people here and there, right? Mm-hmm. So again, bear with me on this. So I've heard that there was a time where in the city funds were cut for, like, the institutions Mm -hmm. that house people with, like, mental disabilities, Mm -hmm. people mentally ill. Yes. Which is why you have a lot of them who are, like, unleashed into the streets out here. Yeah. You know? So, Mm -hmm. and I've always heard, like, budgeting and, like, people and these cuts are always happening. Mm -hmm. And it sucks that it's happening to departments, like, that support programs, like, where you work, you know? Yes. Yeah. So, interestingly... Funding for these specific programs Mm -hmm. come from the federal government, and then they kind of get passed down into the state, and they kind of proportion that to the city, and it's it's not very well monitored consistently. And then when the funds get to the agencies, the people running the agencies might might not be trained to do so, and how are they using the funds as well. So it's kind of a macro issue, Mm -hmm. I feel like, in terms of training and education and what's happening. We have to look at what's happening from the top down. So um, I feel like the next couple years are going to be even more challenging because there's going to be a lot more cuts in these areas and we're going to have to figure out you know, as a community, what we can do to help each other to make up for a lot of these cuts that are probably going to be coming very soon. And all these if it's not happening already. <laughs> people in these office, like in office and like 
who are like incompetent, mm-hmm. just dropping the ball. Mm-hmm. And I know last night you said if I curse, it'll make you feel more comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> so let me let me begin by saying this: there are people out here who are fucking shit up. Okay, stop fucking shit up. Mm-hmm. There you go. Mm-hmm. I curse. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, there there's a lot of people who are really messing things up. Um, you know, look at the school system. What's happening now? It's oh a whole different topic. I don't know if it's for today or for another day, but that's a really challenging area, and it's <laughs> the I don't I don't. <laughs> I'm trying to be as diplomatic as I can, but I'm not sure what's what's happening with those funds, <laughs> where that money is going to, why there are certain public schools that have a lot and other public schools that have very little. Why is that not being distributed evenly? Ah, uh, yes. Are we talking about favorable treatment being passed around schools in the city of Philadelphia? <laughs> huh? Is that what we're saying here? I think we are, because I do agree. Because check this out. Now, I live in West Philly, mm-hmm. and there used to be a plethora, a myriad, a lot of schools mm-hmm. that were like that were in my area. Mm-hmm. And even where I live at right now, down the street was my elementary school. Mm-hmm. That was a, it was like a cool school. Now the shit's becoming like a dormitory for like uh, one of the universities in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. and all of the schools that were around like being shut down <laughs> turned into like God knows what. Yeah. And so all these kids are being bussed down here for charter schools. Yeah, it's ooh, it's a it's a big hot button topic, and if things don't change soon, it's just gonna keep getting worse. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to let families know, particularly though with children that have, if they have children that do have autism, that do go into the public school setting, mm-hmm. um, those families are so much more protected only because the, the funding for the autistic support classrooms in the school district, in a public school district, that money comes from a different pool, a different a different area because that money right. comes from the federal government and not from the city or I think the state. Um, I'm not really well knowledge in areas of funding mm-hmm. and where money comes from, but I do know in this situation because the children um, who have autism have a disability, they're protected by um, federal laws. So we have to comply and they have to get a free and appropriate education. So it's very interesting when you go into these schools and you go into public schools, you you might be walking the halls and it doesn't seem like a warm and fuzzy environment, but then when you get walk into the autistic support classroom, it's a totally different place because the money comes from a different a different pool. So it's very, very interesting how that works. Sounds interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad that they have that. So here's something I've been thinking about while you were talking. Mm-hmm. Within communities, we all play our part. Mm-hmm. You know, it's because uh, we may not be, you know, a policeman or like a fireman. This mean mm-hmm. that we can't like, you know, be mindful of what's mm-hmm. going on in our areas. Mm-hmm. You know, we all play our part, no matter what it is. Yeah, how absolutely. Big, how big or yeah. how small. So what can we do? 
So one of the biggest things that I've been thinking about lately, and this has been coming up in my work, it's been coming up with a lot of my peers who are in the community, is just to be mindful about what we've been calling neurodiversity. So not just how we talk about diversity and everybody looks different on the outside, um, but a lot of us, we our, our brains all work differently. So how we take in information from the environment is absolutely different from individual to individual. So really just be mindful that when you're on the street or when you might see something, someone different, although it might appear weird to you or strange, that maybe that person's in distress or maybe that person needs help or maybe that person is scared and to just be aware of what's going on in the environment around them and just you don't have to offer support but just think try to think differently about it and be more aware of others and and who you're who you're coming into contact with so i had to learn that the hard way mm-hmm. but at the same time it really wasn't my fault so let me tell you what happened. Okay. Now it's people's court time, right? <laughs> Just bring out Judge Wapner and get down with it. So, <laughs> is he was still alive? I don't think he probably not. That's just a simple question altogether. So one day I was working at Best Buy, mm-hmm. and like I was like doing like I was vacuuming. Okay. In the media section, the store was supposed to be closed like ten o'clock. Uh huh. And this couple comes in with their kid, and like the last possible moment, when the store was about and to close. You're like- Please leave. <laughs> right, and I'm vacuuming, and I get approached. Like, you please stop that? Your vacuuming is scaring our child. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> then I realized the kid had autism, and I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, right. It wasn't an argument or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, your parents are goofy, but mm-hmm. you have you have your condition, and I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna scare a kid mm-hmm. on purpose, mm-hmm. you know. So like, those were one of the times where I've had instances where being aware of neurodiversity. Mm-hmm. came into play yeah you know and I had to kick it in like immediately like okay cool the kid is that way I understand mm-hmm. but if I catch anyone your parents outside in the parking lot <laughs> it's going down especially you because your hair is awful Let's go. <laughs> you know but yeah so I think that's I think it is important that we do display a high level of sensitivity mm-hmm. and I'm not saying like treat people differently because that they're different mm-hmm. You know, people are oh, he's he's different. Mm-hmm. No, let's let's be very soft. Like, yeah. hi, my name is John. Nothing yeah. like that, but at least be cognizant and aware. Just be aware, and right. yeah, like one. So one of the biggest things that I know my families often complain about, and it makes them really uncomfortable, is just going to the grocery store with their child, and they're in the store, and their child wants a specific cereal, and they're it's it's meltdown city and the looks that they get from other parents or the comments that they may receive from others are incredibly hurtful. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, they're just trying to, to get the groceries for the week and get out of there as quickly as they can because they know how painful it is for their child to be there. Um, so just try your best to be compassionate. And if, if you see a situation, if you're, if, if you have nothing kind to say, just just keep keep on keep on walking. <laughs> right. Such um, a trap. Yeah. There we go. Um, keep your comments to yourself. Um, but 
if you are compassionate and if you're willing to offer support, a, a word of kindness is is always welcome. Agreed. Now, may I curse one more time? Sure. No. <laughs> I know I'm a little stuffy. <laughs> no, you know, you're all good. You're all but, good. But I, I love say. a good curse word. There's a good curse word for you. Okay, I got it from uh, it's a classic combination of words. For those people out there who are not respectful of those with special needs, they got to make smart comments and will be complete jerks. Mm-hmm. You can do you can do one thing. Fuck off. <laughs> there we go. That sounds so smooth. Fuck off. Yeah, and go. that's the big thing, too, that I want to point out with children that have autism or people that do have autism and special needs is that looking at them, you would have no idea you have no idea that their brain works differently than ours, that their challenges are different than ours. So mm-hmm. um, you wouldn't know that, they, that they're suffering on the inside or that a certain situation is challenging other than their behavior, mm-hmm. which makes it very uncomfortable sometimes because you can't, you can't kind of label what's going on. So that's, again, like something to be mindful of just just think about the neurodiversity and think about and be respectful of, of other people's makeups and backgrounds and, and how their brains work. Awesome. So now I have a question for you. Yes. Now it's time to get dirty. All oh, right? gosh. But not like, <laughs> I need to rephrase <laughs> that because it's, it's still pertaining to, pertaining to your job, mm-hmm. right? Now when I say that, but I want to know is let's get down to like intimate details about your experiences. Okay. In terms of your job and mm-hmm. the eight years that you spent in it, mm-hmm. if at all possible, could you tell me about one of your most challenging experiences that you've had? Sure. So I'm going to pick an experience, or I should say, my most challenging experiences are not so much, again, with the specific child or the family. It's just the, again, the, the communities and the, indiv- the people who are out there that I need to reach out to for help and support um, and the follow through. And again, uh, the biggest challenge that I have is the school district (laughs) Um, because it's something that I support my families with every year, every year. My children that I work with there, they turn five and six, and what comes next? It's time to go to kindergarten. Okay, so what does that mean? What supports are they going to get? Who do they talk to? What help are they going to have? And that process right now is incredibly challenging and it's really difficult to support. It's not, I should say, it's not difficult for me to support my families uh, to advocate because the parents that I work with are excellent advocates and they know their child really well. But the biggest challenge is to get their voices heard and to get their child's needs met. And even though their child's needs are protected under a federal law, a lot of times we don't follow those laws. And that's because, again, there's money involved. And where's the money coming from? And it just turns into this 
these big, big issues that we all have to face every day. And, and our kids are getting unequal opportunities when they go into the school district. Some of my families have great experiences. Some of my families don't have great experience. And it's, it's hard because one experience doesn't have anything to do with the other. It's just where they're at, what's going on, who they meet, and it's a different day. And I find that to be the most incredibly challenging part of my role is to connect them to like what comes next after after us after therapy after you've had a great experience my organization the the next steps are always the most challenging yeah so I know that was really deep and not extremely specific but <laughs> it was still dirty folks it was still pretty dirty still very dirty still, <laughs> still, still down to the bone gristle very very informative so I I feel like I'm going to get some hate mail from the school district. (laughs) Well, listen, I mean, (laughs) if the criticism is warranted, then then it is what Mm -hmm. it is. Um, Because I often wonder, you know, again, I can say that I've, not privileged, I wouldn't say that would be the right word, like I'm fortunate. Mm -hmm. In fact, a lot of us are fortunate to be as we are. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, because we look at others who deal with their conditions. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't know how, like, how lucky we are that we are able to function without, like, you know, without much help. Mm-hmm. Well, there are some individuals who need help out there still, you mm-hmm. know. And it's a different story altogether, right? Mm-hmm. But, and again, I think it's, it's a blessing to see that those who can help do help. Because... Mm-hmm. By and large, they are the ones who are making the difference. Yes. You know, so I think that's that's very, very, very awesome. And I'm so I'm curious. You mentioned about therapy. Yes. For 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 your kids, what does that usually entail? So that's another really great question. Oh my god, I'm on fire. Yes. <laughs> so um, therapy therapy is. Uh, Therapy is a big word. It can mean so many different things. Um, there are many different kinds of therapists. There are many different kinds of therapies that insurance companies are willing to pay for. Um, so right now, the evidence-based practice most approved therapy for children that have autism is called ABA therapy. Um, so it's a therapy that targets a child's behaviors um, and how they can shape those behaviors so that they children can learn to cope with the environment mm-hmm. um, and it's been an extremely effective therapy over the years there's tons of research it it definitely works um, so anybody who receives a diagnosis of autism the recommended therapy for autism is ABA however There are many different therapies that are being developed to treat and support children and individuals that do have autism. The therapy that I am certified to to provide, um, I have a proficiency certification in the field. It's called DIR. A lot of people know the specific intervention of DIR as floor time therapy. 
So floor time therapy is also evidence-based, but it is not often accepted or um, not often provided. So there's not a lot of providers of this therapy. We are really growing. We're really known therapists in this that are trained to provide this therapy are all over the world. And um, it's really growing and I'm really excited about it. And I hope that soon we'll become well-recognized and as big as ABA. So, of course, the only follow-up question I can have to <laughs> the style of therapy mm-hmm. and you know, especially full-time therapy and you interacting with, with your children mm-hmm. has to be about the children. Meaning, like, do you, what's it like? With, uh, with, yes. if, with your two to six-year-olds, like how do they respond to you? Yes. So I, I'm loving this <laughs> this direction. So floor time therapy, we it respects the individual's um, ideas, thoughts, and play, and we essentially follow their lead in play, um, and we make connections with children through play. So when I was talking about the three different areas of autism that are affected and the children's biggest barriers are through socialization, communication, and play, floor, they all kind of play off of each other. So you can't communicate, you can't learn to communicate if you don't have a relationship with someone because why would you need to learn to talk if you don't have an interest in an individual to have your wants and needs met. So you have to be able to learn how to socialize and develop a relationship before you learn to talk. And then again, and then vice versa, how could you develop a relationship if you can't communicate or talk in any way? So they all, all those skill areas play upon each other. So with floor time, we try to address all those skills at the same time. and we do that by providing confidence in children, getting them or supporting them and helping them learn that they can trust us and that we're safe. And we also take in their individual neurodiverse needs. So whether that's if they're sensitive to light or sensitive to sound, how can we change the environment so that they feel comfortable and that they feel safe so that they can socialize and engage and play and feel comfortable and hopefully learn to talk. So that's, that's a little bit about the therapy that, that I do. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So of course I have a follow up for that question. <laughs> Now, I understand that uh, when it comes down to therapists, mm-hmm. I believe we talked about how you have to give a bit of yourself mm-hmm. in order for the patient, or the in this case, the child, to feel more comfortable. Mm-hmm. So while you're applying this therapy to them, mm-hmm. do you get anything from the therapy for yourself? Well, so therapist, as a therapist and 
going through social work school, um, we have to learn how to be vulnerable and how to understand what our own needs are and our own experiences are so we can either so that we can put those experiences and biases aside before we move into a therapeutic relationship. So, um, so for me, I, <laughs> I can be really shy. I also have difficulties with trust. So when I meet a child for the first time, I, I can understand or I can't, it's hard to, um, it's hard to imagine, like, going into a relationship immediately, and, like, being with an adult one-on-one if you don't even know them, or if you don't even have that relationship yet, so I can understand a little bit where that child's coming from I'm like why why would you trust me I'm I'm taking your hand I'm walking you to a room and now we're just supposed to play (laughs) what what, who are you I'm like you don't even know me so I, I I can kind of relate and understand why a child would feel uncomfortable or feel like it might take them a long time to trust and to form a relationship. So for me, I have to think about that often when before I go into session with a child. Is there something that I'm doing that might make them uncomfortable? I, I have a high-pitched voice, and I can get really excited too. Does my voice bother this child do I need to be less talkative or this child could be really is is just kind of like a sleepy little guy and maybe he needs some some of that excitement to to uh to to relate and to engage so I have to really kind of pump myself up before I go in Mm -hmm. (laughs) to get them to learn to to get them to trust me and Relationships are challenging. Um, Building relationships with other people are hard. If anyone tells you that it's easier, that they're good at it, they're lying. (laughs) So um, building relationships and rapport with others, for me, although it is part of my field, um, it's challenging. Well, if it wasn't challenging, it wouldn't be fun. And, and it would be enriching. And it wouldn't, yeah, exactly. It wouldn't be rewarding. So um, it, it's good to always kind of be vulnerable in these situations. And being vulnerable is, is something that's really hard for a lot of people to do. It's always been something that's been really challenging for me. And I think being vulnerable as a therapist and to be able to open up to to kind of let your guard down and be open to a variety of different experiences is the best thing that you can do for your clients and the people that you work with because we're human too. <laughs> so there's so much yeah. <laughs> to, to learn, you know, that I've you know, I've always had an interest in knowing like what went on. Mm-hmm. Cause again, like with the media and their portrayal of autism is one thing. Mm-hmm. And then you'll see how you have these movements or these charities or these mm-hmm. programs and you know, like autism speaks mm-hmm. but i never really knew what it was mm-hmm. and i've known people who um, have children with autism mm-hmm. and i've you know as a, i'm not a parent mm-hmm. you know last time i checked well i have a cat but that's a different story 
Uh, cat dad. I'm a cat dad. <laughs> I'm the coolest cat dad in town. <laughs> right? So, but I've always wanted to understand what their lives were like, mm-hmm. what they had to deal with. Right. You know, and then seeing how, and just knowing that they have help out here mm-hmm. is fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's great. And people like you Thanks. helping them makes it even better. Thank you. No doubt about it. It's just, Thank you. Yeah, no doubt. You know, <laughs> we, we're sharing compliments today. Yeah. You know, we're sharing them far Words and wide. Words of kindness. Indeed. Indeed. So for you being in this game for eight years again, mm-hmm. another two-part question. Yes. Not quite as dirty, but still filthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> first question is, where do you see yourself going within the field okay. in terms of what plans do you have and where would you like to see the field go mm-hmm. in the future? Like if you had, if you were like, you know, uh, Captain Picard and, and like, you know, it's like autism therapy was like your USS Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Side note, I bench watched the hell out of Star Trek Next Generation, <laughs> so it's all I'm thinking about right now. So, so again, you had the complete control mm-hmm. of where autism could go, and funding from the federal government mm-hmm. was an issue. Mm-hmm. What would you do? So you can answer oh any of those gosh. questions in any order. This is lovely. Um, so my career goals are one day, um, hopefully within the next five years, I would love to be able to open up my own private practice and serve individuals with autism and families um, that have children that have autism similarly to what I do now but more on a a private basis and connect them connect my families with each other I'm really passionate about the therapy that I do which again is DIR DIR floor time so I want to be able to provide that be a provider of that therapy um with a little bit more education, I will be able to do that. So it's just another option for families to have. Um, And in part of my work, I also want to do education because I feel like education in the field of autism is very limited right now. I want to educate families. I want to educate the community. I want to educate individuals who want to go out there and learn about autism and become a therapist like me. Um, I want there to be more of me (laughs) out there. So those are my career goals. My other, to answer your other question about, I think it was like, if I had all the money in the world, what would I do? Yes. (laughs) Which would be great. I I would be able to, uh, I... I would love to open up agencies in the communities that are underserved um, and be able to provide them with therapy and resources and education to help them with, and not even just for families who have children with autism, but just um, to support them to be able to continue to be strong families and give back to their communities and teach them about each other and bring people together um, 
all, even though we're all neurodiverse and diverse. So if I had all the money in the world, I just would be able to love to bring everybody together in such a way and be able to provide resources and education. Beautiful. <laughs> awesome. So as we come down to the end of mm-hmm. our show, and I think this was definitely a a great, great conversation. Yes. And this is, plus, for your, this being your first time doing this, it's yes. like, yeah, it's like a professional. Really? Yeah. I was really nervous, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you were perfect. You were perfect. <laughs> Thanks. So before we end, mm-hmm. any final thoughts that you'd like to leave the audience with? Um, well, I just want to say I feel really privileged to be able to be sitting here and being able to share my message with you all out there who are listening. Um, it's not something that I take for granted. I've been wanting to do it for a really long time. So I want to say I'm really grateful. And I think that if you've learned something or that I have shared today, um, that will just make me very happy and (laughs) excited. So please just continue to uh, teach yourself to do some research, to learn more about autism if you can. You can go to the Autism Speaks website. There's tons of information and tons of free resources on that website. And you can even look into... CHOP has a full parent roadmap that you can follow and that provides a lot of resources and information of what to do next. So if I haven't answered any questions, please just go to those two different websites and just continue to expand your knowledge and continue to be kind and compassionate to people who are neurodiverse. Word up. One more thing I'll add, because some people may not know, like, acronyms so chop for those who don't know is the, it's all good this <laughs> is children's hospital of philadelphia and listen i've grew up in that hospital sometimes visiting sometimes staying but yeah children's hospital of philadelphia is a great place and they definitely have those resources yes you're talking about yes yes indeed so there's that another episode one and done and we're done in time to get back to the game, but I'm not going to watch the game, so back Ooh. to Star Trek for me. <laughs> <laughs> so Miss so, so, so Lauren Bauer, like Eddie Bauer, but no relation. No, none. Thank you for uh, being a guest, and thank you for approaching me um, in time bar to for <laughs> Christmas. It's and, my birthday. Oh, yeah, for, your, for your birthday. <laughs> And she was definitely celebrating <laughs> and uh, approached me with the idea to be on the show. And this is definitely one of my favorite ones I've done thus far. So thank, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Word Thanks. up. Boom. So we're this new black show. is one and done. See mm-hmm. you all next time. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm not singing the rest of that because I don't like your soup by McDonald's. <laughs> all right. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>
You win!